You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. I signal. Foster Care Nation, listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Terminator. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey with Jason and Amanda. And today we have Carlos Slack with us. Carlos is a licensed marriage and family therapist you notice i have to say that slowly so i don't screw it up because i am trying to remember exactly what it says <laughs> because i'm not that smart guys i'm not that smart um mr lack provides psychotherapy specializing in anxiety depression travel mental health and trauma um he also has a lot of experience around the world of bipolar as well how are you doing today carlos i'm doing great what a monday hey it is a Monday for sure. <laughs> and for me, Monday means it's my, my day off and I'm going to be really, really busy. So we're just going to run like crazy today. But before we get to all the running I have to do here in a little bit, um, how are you doing with with uh, with this world of psychotherapy and, and helping kids through anxiety and trauma and, and depression and people with bipolar? Like, dude, that's that's a bunch of stuff. What What made you jump into that? You know, it's interesting because uh, I actually, this is my third career. So I jumped into this from broadcast journalism. I was a broadcast journalist for 10 years, and I was in my own therapy at that time. And my therapist is probably the impetus of why I'm even here with you guys or why I'm doing the things that I'm doing, because it is... um, through that work that we did together that really helped me propel me to really think about working with uh, other people with their traumas. Uh, By the way, I probably haven't said this yet, uh, but I'm also bipolar myself. I have bipolar disorder myself. So I was working with him through that as well. So it is my own journey that helped me get to this journey that I'm on now for others. That's amazing because, you know, things like bipolar disorder have been, um, We'll just say there's been a bit of a stigma on that for a long, long time, right? I would say so. Absolutely. And most all of us know somebody who's been diagnosed or somebody we at least suspect of that in our family somewhere, whether or not we have the the ability to to make that diagnosis for them. But, you know, my, my uh, you know, some of the people in my own family, I don't want to call anybody out here, but some of the people in my own family that I grew up in, there was some mental health issues there that honestly went completely undiagnosed for a lot of years because that particular generation didn't always believe that that stuff existed. You need to just, you know, buckle up and and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and all those great metaphors that we like to use and tell you just to to be normal like the rest of us. Mm -hmm. It is amazing what people say just to, you know, get you, make you think that you're better to get better, but really none of it works because it is much more complicated than like, oh, you know, just buck it up or just do what you need to do or, or it's going to get better. You know, I wish I could answer all those questions positively and favorably, but unfortunately it doesn't always work that way. However, 
the the part that does work that way is our ability to be able to cope with this but that even takes time so even if you say oh it's going to get better it isn't going to get better like tomorrow or yesterday for that matter it's going to take time and that's one of the things that i have to say with all my clients especially with bipolar is like it's going to take time I, I feel like I, I need to record this somewhere and, and put it on a speaker so that they can hear that. It's going to take time. Now, you have worked with a lot of kids in the foster care system as well, correct? Right, right. I have. Actually, that's in the beginning of my career. That was mostly what I did is work with uh, foster kids and with uh, kids that are going to be adopted into with uh, parents or, or with their foster parent, for that matter. So what drew you into that world where you were talking to, to foster kids? Like that, that's, that's a pretty specific community. Was that just happenstance or did you intentionally seek out that population? Well, it was kind of happenstance to, to be honest with you. I, I, I didn't necessarily seek it out at first because I was like, uh, I was in my early career and I was like, okay, well, I'm here. I am. I'm going to be a marriage and family therapist. So I need to get my hours and, and I need to do this. So then it was like, okay, I need to, to work with children. So, and, and so I found a place that where I worked with children and it was through this experience that I ended up getting uh, put into this world. Now I, I love it because these kids are kids that sometimes I feel like that either time forgot or or people forgot, but they're in now a world that they're no longer forgotten. And I feel like that's something that was really important to work with is people who are are kind of like, you know, the background more than in the front ground. Sometimes they want to be in the background than in the front ground. But either way, it's what really propelled me to get into the place and and ever since then it's been something of what i do in everything i do well i will say amanda and i started this journey with the the wisdom that that really all you have to do is love these kids enough and and we'll solve all their problems right yeah that didn't work so well (laughs) not so well at all i mean obviously you want to love children but that's not all children need yeah and so we walked into this with, with out much knowledge and with this idea that we were we were better prepared than we were so since you've dealt with so many foster kids and seeing kids going through their own hard stuff if you were talking to some foster parents out there who are brand new to this because i know you're some of our listenership is those folks who who are really thinking about becoming foster parents what's the best piece of advice you could give them around how to step into this and do it well to help kids i would say just open your heart, open your mind, open your, your, your body, your spirit, because I think if you come with it with an open mind, you'll be better capable of dealing with the roadblocks, the pitfalls, the, 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 the moments where, where it almost feels like, I just want to get rid of this child. I don't want to deal with this anymore moments. It's like, you have to have that openness because that's really key. I think people come in with like a, like a mindset of like, Oh, this is going to be easy. I've worked with kids all my life. So here's a kid, I can work with them. And, and even as a therapist, this was not 
I had to come with a different attitude because it's not like the same as dealing with a child that comes from two fa- from two parents that are their bio parents. So it is something that even as, as a professional, I had to open up to. And I, and I would say that would be the same for anybody who wants to have foster children, whether it's foster children to be permanent foster parents or to go from foster parent to adoptive parent. Either way, you have to have that openness. If you don't have that, I believe that it's our, that you're going to end up, you know, getting into these pitfalls, these potholes, whatever you want to call them and get stuck to the point where it is hard to get out. Yeah, that's definitely something that, that we didn't see when we first started this. And, uh, I'm going to say a lot of those pitfalls is, is where we spent a lot of our first few years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I would think so. You know, we, we were parenting children from extreme trauma from the get go. And there was not, um, a whole lot of preparation for that. It was, Hey, here you go. Sign your license. Oh, by the way, here's these kids. And it, and it did happen just like that as we were signing our license, they were telling us about two children that we went on to adopt, but we were just thrown to the wolves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and in large part, that's, I think, a lo- the story of a lot of parents. And so I'm trying to, I, I really want to, to get that message out to, to potential foster parents. Like, there is a wrong way to do this. And if you just step into it the way that we did, you're probably going to hit that wrong way. And mm-hmm having your your mind opened to all these possibilities is super important and understanding that even through challenging diagnoses there is a way to do this well we just aren't always given those tools right at the beginning mm-hmm. you can get the best training because the agencies that i work for best great training great training they gave them some great support as well you can get have all those tools but that one child that is uh, a little bit outside of what is average for for that can throw you completely off. And then it's like, you can be the best foster parent and not know what to do. And it's okay not to know what to do because maybe if this were somebody else, they wouldn't know what to do. So a lot of times you have to be okay with not knowing with not knowing and having support to help you with this because I've had to answer phone calls on a Saturday on a, from a, from a foster parent or, or from a youth who is calling me about some crisis that's going on at home. Or when I worked with a, a wraparound team, wraparound being in California, we have a team that's a, a bunch of other people that support me in my role of being a therapist. And they kind of help with the child, the parent, and also um, overall management of the team. And they have to sometimes step in and kind of help you out and get you through it. It isn't a, a lonely journey here. If you're going on this on your own, it's almost like you're, you're, you kind of like are owing because it's like you, it's going to be difficult for sure. You know, you mentioned something earlier about a kid, you know, bringing a kid into your house who comes from these two parents. And honestly, for, for what most foster and adoptive parents actually are doing you're getting a kid who's been through usually several sets of parents and you've got a lot of things to learn about the kid and things to help them unlearn and things that we need to unlearn as well as parents who think we know what we're doing. Cause, um, sometimes we just don't. 
And I love that, that wraparound services idea that you guys have, you know, and I think a lot of agencies are going to that, but let's be honest. Um, you know, we're out here in the, in the middle of America and we're a little bit behind the way that a lot of other places handle this stuff, you know? So, so what are some of those wraparound services that you guys kind of put together to, to assist one kid and, and have many different teams to do that? Mm-hmm. And what, what it happens usually with this is like, there comes a therapist and a facilitator. The facilitator is in charge of making sure everything is going on um, as coordinated and, and, and organizing resources for the family and making sure every, that the family is definitely wrapped around. Because wraparound is, is just like that. It's kind of like hugging the family with services and people to help them through this uh, time. Whether it's a foster family or a family in crisis or a family in need, you know, that is important. Really having that support. The unfortunate part is, I think what, what you said is that this is not a common thing across the country. So when, when it isn't a common thing across the country, it's almost like, it's very important. I, I'm a strong advocate of wraparound because I saw the successes of wraparound and, and, and how it helped families and, and helped situations. And there were times where there were two foster family, foster children in the home receiving wraparound services from two separate teams. So this is like a team of four people apiece. So this is eight people now involved in this family's life. Now, for some people, that sounds like, wow, that's that's great. Like a lot of support. For some people, it's like, oh, my God, I got this much intrusion in my life right now. How am I going to juggle all of this? So in, in some ways, that was the challenge is to have buy-in so that uh, so that these services didn't seem intrusive. Like, oh, my God, eight people. That means I have to have in a week. I have to have at least seven meetings, six meetings a week or with a therapist and with the parent partner and with the uh, child partner and, and all that. That can seem a little daunting, especially if a foster parent is fostering maybe, let's say, five children. Yeah, If you add all this up, you're probably going to start pulling out hairs. Not much for me, but other people with a lot of hair going to pull it out because it is so, so daunting, the amount of things. It's helpful, but it's also daunting at the same time. And that's probably what the challenge is, no matter if there's a place that has support, that level of support, or a place that doesn't have that level of support, there's different things that make the situation very daunting. Oh, yeah. Hey, I'm totally familiar with uh, the thinning hair, and I blame kids for the thinning hair. My One of my kids the other day says, Dad, you're starting to lose your hair. And I'm like, Mm-mm, no, I'm not starting, dude. That started a long time ago. <laughs> but you're right it can be very daunting you know and any given week we have between four to six therapy appointments in our home alone and we only have four children in our home right now and that's just therapy that's not social services coming in that's not court that's not fsts and you know specifics for each given child but at the same time it can be very daunting and I'm not one that likes to have a lot of people in my house. And I feel like my house has to be perfect before people can come in mm-hmm. and all of those things. But I will say it's much better than what it was when we started, what, 13 years ago, give or take. 
you know, there wasn't supports, there wasn't podcasts, there wasn't, you know, online therapies and things like that. And we're, we're in the rural area. So our training is not what it is for a big city or something like that. But I will say, you know, with technology and especially with COVID, everybody moving to online, it has definitely helped with services. Mm -hmm. I would say that too. It's like this, this COVID-19 situation has really changed the landscape of mental health and how we approach mental health. Up to this point, I mean, I even for me, up till COVID-19, I was doing things in person. I was going to people's houses. I was uh, doing those kinds of therapies. But now I've had to rethink that strategy as well, even where I am, because now it's you know, it's it's not enough just to be accessible to one little part of the world. Sometimes it is important to be accessible to, to parts of the world that really haven't really had access to these things. And and I think being in, a, in middle of America or rural America or, or anywhere, even in California, there are places that are inaccessible or have little access to mental health. But no matter where it is, I think it's so important to have that access, to have that, because there's so many people like you in all sorts of parts of this country. And, and, and some have good access and some have poor access. And either way, it's having that ability to be able to reach out to help, because this is what it's about. We're helping people here. We're uh, helping kids or helping families and getting through this stuff. Yeah, we're trying anyways, you know, but, you know, to your point, you know, if you live in L.A. County, you probably have more people on your block than we have in our in our little city out here. I think <laughs> I'm going to guess I think we're about three thousand people in our city. Um, it's not a great big city. We're an hour outside of St. Louis. And so it's it's nice. It's nice that it's quiet. It's nice that it's more peaceful. Um, it's also a lot more difficult to get to resources. Because, you know, St. Louis is an hour away. If I need to make a trip to St. Louis, that's two hours of travel to get there and back. And if you have these neurodivergent kids who are coming from these different backgrounds, an hour-long car ride can can be a bit overwhelming for them and us. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever taken a, a trip with a, a kid who uh, who makes ADHD look like calm calmness, but I have. <laughs> yeah. I made a several of those trips, and, and woo. I mean, that that's a lot, especially when you have other kids with different diagnoses in the vehicle with you, and they don't always show a whole lot of empathy at a young age. I guess we'll put it that way. Yeah. That's I a nice say that. Say to put that. And yeah. so, it, yeah, it makes it challenging, man. So, I know you said earlier you do offer your services online as well, right? That's right. I do. I um, I in California and in Colorado, I provide psychotherapy, and outside of those states, I provide mental health coaching. There's a little two different things, but the the main thing that's different is that with psychotherapy, I'm doing the full work of of mental health. You know, processing things, talking about things, and talking about feelings and thoughts, and and going that gamut. Now with coaching. That's usually when I'm talking about very, very basic things like, you know, providing coping mechanisms or dealing or helping you cope or deal with what you're going through. 
I, at some points, I may even be giving you a little bit of advice here and there, which is not what I give in psychotherapy. I help you figure it out. But in, in coaching, the benefits is that I can help you figure it out. And I can also suggest something and let you go to town with it. So I imagine the coaching probably is something that a lot of foster parents, you know, are, are going to be more benefited by. I think so, because a lot of times they want answers and they just need something to give them, give them a, like a starting block to get, help them get down that path more so than like, okay, I need to go to full down therapy because I have a condition of this or condition of that or something like that. So it's two different ways of looking at things. Well, it seems that coaches is the, the new thing. Everybody wants to be a life coach or something like that. And so I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm in a dad's group and, and we have a lot of guys come in there and, and the health coaches are the one thing that, that make me a little bit insane because quite frankly, when I get a message from somebody who, who just joined our group and I mean, they don't tend to do it that much anymore and they tend to be weeded out pretty quick. But when you send me a random Facebook message, that says, you know, Hey, what are you doing to, you know, what, what's working best in your health and fitness system right now? And I'm like, all right, I get it. You went through all the profile pictures and you saw that I'm the guy who's the big, I'm the big guy, right? And you know, I get it. I'm fat. I know this. I'm overweight and I have been since the third grade and I don't need your help, right? But finding somebody, you know, like you who can, who can not only help in that coaching role, but who has the background in psychotherapy. So you understand a lot of the other things that we're dealing with. You know, if you're dealing with a kid who's, who's ADHD or, or has, um, um, oh, reactive attachment, that's, there's a new name for that one. I think it's DMDD. Maybe I heard recently. I don't know. Dissociative mood dysregulation disorder. I think that's the new name for it. I can't keep up with all the acronyms anymore. I know they're every, they're everywhere. Oh my gosh. They're changing. And we had a new DSM come out. So it's like everything changes. That's with it. Yeah, but but having somebody who who has some understanding of what we're dealing with from that lens, that's super helpful to be able to to see that like we're dealing with hard stuff and and we need somebody who knows what they're talking about to be able to help us understand that. I I could see someone with a background like yours being super helpful in that. Thank you. And and I I I am because I really try. I really try and and I want I, it's because of my experience that I've gone through over the years that really has built this for me. Um, because this, I mean, this journey isn't something that I started yesterday and here I am today, licensed and all that stuff. The yesterday was like 10 plus 12. It's been a decade. Wow. Some days I surprise myself, but it's been a decade of doing this for, for me. And even before I, I did this, I, I was I was an advocate in, in other ways in my as a reporter, as in broadcast journalism, or earlier on as well. I I actually am from an adoption myself. Um, my stepdad adopted me. I my mom was still my biological mom. My, my, my stepdad actually is not my father. So he's he adopted me when I was in fifth grade too. And that came with its own challenges, you know, and, and things that I didn't expect as a child. And I, I mean, I, many children that I knew didn't ever, had two biological parents at the time in 1986. Oh, that puts me way back there. 
but anyway, but, uh, but yeah, there was like a lot of that going on. So that's, uh, that's, it wasn't something that I was close to, but I remember going to the social worker and having to be interviewed at the social worker. I remember going to the judge that day that I had to say that, yes, I want to be, uh, I do want this adoption to go through. I remember the judge asking me that. I remember what that courtroom looked like in Waukesha County, Wisconsin, when I did that. So um, this is part of of my life. I mean, I guess uh, since a little kid, and I am still going through it today, and I still advocate for it, and I think it's very important what you guys do, what other people do to make this easier for other people or to make it more accessible to other people who want to do this. It's very easy to feel alone, you know, especially when you're struggling. And as parents, it's hard to struggle and feel like you're failing your children because when you feel like you're failing your children, you feel like you're a failure as a parent. And there's going to be days that you fail. There's going to be a lot of days that you fail. So there's a lot of lonely days out there. Mm-hmm. Right. It is. It can be very lonely because there's not that many people to talk to. Even in a city where our, my, my neighborhood is probably 3,000. But, uh, but even like that, there's still, I don't know. I wouldn't know from Adam, who is a foster person that I can talk to in the resources. We have more agencies. We have more of those kind of supports. But even with all of that, I still know of foster parents who are doing this all on their own. They're not having any support or very little support. Maybe the county is their support, but that's not much. If the county is your support, that person has probably 50 other people to worry about, not just themselves, not just this child that you have. So they're not going to be there as much as you need them to be. So it's, it, it is very tough still, even to this day, 2022, even though it's gotten better. Yeah, so we, you know, we move forward in time and, and it's 2022 and things should be better. But we have to remember that the calendar hasn't changed. There aren't more days available in the calendar. And if that worker has 50 kids that they're on their caseload, that's 50 appointments they have to make in a month's time on top of everything else that they do. And that's that's a lot of visits to make in, in, a, in a month's worth of time. 50 appointments in 30 days. And, you know, we break that down to working days and you got to start making like two different appointments with with kids every day on top of everything else and as foster parents we don't have a a great big support network um and which is i guess i'll throw a shameless plug in here right about now but that's what one of the things amanda and i are talking about trying to figure out how to build that that foster parent support network a place where we can come together and discuss some of the things that we deal with on a regular basis not because we're licensed psychotherapists because we're not um my psychology degree is hanging on the wall over here but but i wrote it myself with crayons and it's really cool looking but it doesn't mean a whole lot (laughs) But, but i have the experience of knowing what it's like raising kids and dealing with some of these mental diagnoses that that the rest of the world doesn't see these are invisible disabilities that the rest of the world doesn't always see and i don't know about anyone else in the listenership but i have been that guy in walmart years ago who saw the kid having the meltdown in the middle of the aisle and, and had something ridiculously stupid and closed minded to say to my kids about, if you ever do that, you're going to end up, you know, yeah, because I didn't see him either. And I think hey, we can't really blame most of the world for knowing that 
that, hey, we're dealing with some invisible disabilities here, and it's really freaking hard for us, especially as foster parents, where you're just trying to help a kid, and they're not always necessarily ready or willing to be helped because of what they're going through. So building that perspective and that support is super important. I agree. I agree. I think that also it makes me think of another point, and that is is that a lot of times I've found that, you know, the foster parents – you know, get called on by the system. Like what I mean by that is like, you know, the hotline. They get called for like, oh, you, they have, you know, this foster parent abused my son. Somehow the bio parent comes in and they're like, oh, you abused my son. You hit him. I've heard so many different situations where they get, they get, and, and it's not like it's warranted, but it is something that happens to foster parents you know because a child doesn't like what, what's going on they may call the, the the hotline and then that means an, an investigation has to come in which means that puts the foster parents uh, role in jeopardy because that may, they could be investigated they could be they could be found that this is the for, for whatever happened, it could be found liable. And then that's a lot of work that I'm going to be doing as a therapist to help these children, help this foster parent reunite and, and rebuild this relationship as a result of this. There were some that were warranted. Like I had a, a, a child, one of my clients say that they were um, sexually uh, molested by their a foster parent and that was proven to be true and that was uh, uh it wasn't by the current one that they were at but the previous one so that was proven to be true and that you know went down the pipeline but then there's times where these are unwarranted or unfounded uh, allegations you know maybe because the child wants this or the child wants that this is how they learn how to get things through the through calling the system and getting uh, getting uh reactions or responses so that it, when I when you so as I thought about what I what you need to be a foster parent, another thing is extreme patience, because you may have to deal with things like this, things that are very unfortunate, but are part of this role. You're dealing with a child that's coming into this picture, who is has learned behaviors that maybe aren't appropriate to manage conflicts or manage problem solving, but this is what they've learned. And this is what has been gathered and accepted. And that patience is going to help you through it. Even if your child was the one to report you, that's not the end of the world by doing that. You can have a great relationship with that child by reparative work. And reparative work doesn't have to be just me coming in and, and helping you repair it, but you doing some things every day to build that trust of that child. So the child doesn't have to feel like the system is the only thing that they can trust to get what they want. They, they can trust you too. Yeah, we, I know we've had uh, at least two investigations that we've had. One was was from uh, somebody, you know, a child reporting because he was really angry about something. I don't remember what the, the anger was about that particular day. And another one was a family member of ours, a biological family member who was angry about something else. You mm -hmm. know, and, and yes, they, they come in both times to do the investigation and you know go through the whole rigmarole and and it was eventually uh eventually what was i forget what the they named what they uh, it's unfounded. unfounded yep it, that's what it was unfounded but you know the the thing is is we're dealing with children and trauma 
and nobody gets out of this world without trauma. So let's just, you know, let's be brutally honest. Whether it's a foster child, a regular child, nobody leaves this world without some sort of trauma. Something's going to happen that's going to shake your core. And when you have these children in your home, that shakes their core. They don't, they don't know you walking in. How, why are they supposed to trust you when every other adult has proven themselves untrustworthy? You know, and so it, it's sad but if you're going to be a foster parent, you're going to be reported on. And that's just what it is. And if you let every little thing like that build up, it's not going to be good. It's not good for you. It's not good for the kids. It's not good for any of the kids in the house. Because when you have a report, they don't just come in and talk to the foster children. They come in and they talk to your biological children. They come in and they talk to, you know, the aunt or the uncle, whoever's in that home you're going to be investigated and you need to be open and honest so that you can have that relationship with children's division and build that relationship with children because that's what they need. Yeah. That's been a real tough thing for us sometimes is just accepting the fact that there's going to be a report made eventually. It just, it's going to happen and, and you need to be prepared for that. Mentally speaking, it's coming. So just be prepared when it shows up and be a good enough human that, that it's going to be an unfounded report. You know, that's that I think that's the real key here is just knowing that that you're that person and living that life and understand that people are going to accuse you of things that that may or may not be um, even grounded in any piece of truth at all, because sometimes it's just anger and vitriol. Sometimes it is some of those mental diagnoses, and that's the only way they know how to control people. And that's what we've seen is it, it, that it's usually a matter of, of a, an attempt to control life around them and we just happen to be the ones in the way for them to get that control and i think control of life is such a, a big issue with children in foster care because they don't they have the most minimal amount of control of their life they're being sent by adults to point a point b and point c they're being told the adults to do this to that to the other thing and most of the time it's not even their biological fathers or mothers that are telling them to do these things it's people that are strangers telling them to do these things after a certain point in time you're gonna if you're a child or adolescent you're gonna want to find every little avenue of control that you have because that's all you got and if it, even if it is if if it is like things like scratching yourself or cutting yourself if that's all you control, you're going to do more of that as a child or adolescent, unfortunately, because it's all about control, especially adolescents when they're going into the into their developmental stage of independence. You know, they want more control. And when you're an adolescent, usually you get less control when you're in the system of things. It isn't like you're, you're being allowed, oh, well, of course you can go out and do this, that, and the other thing, and, and, and no problem. You know, that's rare if, at best. So control is, so, is such a big issue because that's part of the reason why I, I had people, I had to see these children because of their lack of control. And usually it was the foster parent or, or, or that was saying, you know, this person's acting out, this person's doing this, this person's doing that. But a lot of times they're doing this, that, and the other thing because this is all they got. This is all they have to, to work with. They don't got like, uh, 
They don't have the ability to go to mom and say, you know, I want to go over and ha- to my friend's house and play and do that stuff and be kids. No, most of the time they're there. They got to stick to being there. And it's limited the amount of activities that they can do. So control is such an issue. Yeah, control is one of those things that I think we all would love to have and none of us ever will. And that's a hard part about what it is. When it comes to kids, we don't have much control. Let's be honest. We don't have much control. All we have is some influence and figuring out how to build that influence into kids' lives, especially as they step into the teen years, especially as things like cutting and suicidal ideation are things that show up pretty regularly in kids with trauma. And that's hard for us to deal with. I mean, we've dealt with that in our own life with with some kids. And it's difficult, man. That's That part's hard. I mean, who wants to deal with a kid with suicidal ideation? That's That's... You know, unless unless you know something, I I don't. I don't think there's a simple answer to that one. <laughs> there isn't. They're absolutely not. I agree. Yeah, we've seen that in our, in our own bio family with some of our own bio kids and some other. You know, we have a have a relative who's who's going through some stuff right now like that, and it's a real challenge. And as parents, we struggle with figuring out how to help our own kids. As foster parents, we struggle with trying to figure out how to help foster kids through this. Or nieces and nephews and and halves and steps and and all the different siblings that that show up. It's, it's a real challenge. So, if if the parents out there are going through some of this harder stuff and they're looking for some of that some of that coaching on how to get through that, what's the easiest way to get a hold of you? Well, the two ways are easy. Number one, to call me because I have a my phone number three one zero eight nine six. 8078. That's a phone number where you can reach me and I have that available for me. That's my office number. Also, you can email me because sometimes some people like the electronic stuff more. And that's info at psychforachange.com. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, That's a great because that's your website, right? Psychforachange.com. That's right. That's my website, psychforachange.com. All right. Well, I'll make certain that that's in the show notes so that anybody who is interested in getting a hold of you can can find not only email, but your website and and uh, we'll put the phone number in there as well. So if anybody wants to get a hold of you, it sounds like you have more than a little bit of experience here. And that's what most of us are looking for. Somebody who's dealt with some of this harder stuff before, because, man, especially when you're first starting and you haven't dealt with it, this is big stuff. And having somebody who can kind of help you navigate that and not have it be such a big scary thing is super helpful mm-hmm. absolutely and uh and i just want you to know that this is not impossible but it also is something that you have to have expectations that are realistic this isn't going to be the nuclear family when you're that you're creating by doing this but this can still be a family that is still very very wonderful that you can have even though it isn't something that is biological, they still can be wonderful people. I've met many wonderful foster children in my day. I've met some that you know started very difficult, very difficult, and became and transitioned to this uh, very wonderful individual once they got to learn how to trust and, and, and be in a place where it was helpful and nurturing. Yeah, you know, I, I did not grow up in that world with foster care in my family. My dad was a police officer, and he saw a lot of kids go through a lot of things. But I can say that I have a couple of friends of mine who who I still have connected with today, 
who my dad met um, professionally, I think we'll say. Um, one of them, his mom called the police department and said, please come help me deal with this child before I abuse him. And like, I know this guy, I've known him for years now. I don't blame her a bit. <laughs> he was, he was, uh, he was a jack wagon of all kinds of sorts as a teenager. I got to know him and, and we've done life around each other for a long time. And the thing is, is what I saw was I saw my dad mentor these kids and I saw him really step into their lives. And what, back in 2014, so quite a few years ago, where we had about eight years back now from this recording, almost since he passed away, those guys were there when my dad was sick and when he passed, like he, he had that kind of an influence on their life. So what you're saying is true. It's, it's not nuclear. It's not your traditional, you know, one man, one woman, 2.5 children, and everything's going to fit this pretty little picture that the, you know, warden June Cleaver type picture, but it can still be a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I, I, I keep on doing this stuff because it is, it, it's just as unique as dealing with the clients who have just the regular client problems that I deal with because these kids have so much potential. They're lost a lot of times, but they have so much potential and that's never can be discounted. Yes. Yes, you are right. The potential is there and the, the world that we're living in is, is not always the world that we, we think we're supposed to be living in, but we can make such a difference. Carlos, I just want to thank you for your time today and talking about what it is that you're, um, you're passionate about and, and open it up and telling some of your own story because, you know, your own struggles through your own, you know, maybe some of the adoption stuff and the, and, you know, the mental health stuff. That's something that we we're trained not to talk about that as adults. We hide that part of ourselves instead of use that as a fuel to move forward and make the world a better place. So I really appreciate your time and you coming out and, and telling other parents that there's a way. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Okay. Foster care nation. Thank you for listening to Carlos's story. Now take his knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at Jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. And don't forget, we have an account at Buy Me a Coffee. It's like a virtual tip jar where you can help us fund our mission for as little or as much as you want. It's at buymeacoffee.com slash fostercare. The links to everything are in the show notes in your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled Studios.